Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. Well, welcome to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Glad to have a bunch of people on already as we go into part two of Decisions Determine Destiny. Seven decisions I made recently. One of them's not that recent. Seven decisions I made recently that changed my future. So if you didn't see yesterday's, um, you can go back and see that on wherever you're watching right now. And then I'm going to go into part two because sometimes, I don't know about you, I learn more from hearing somebody's stories than necess- you know, their, their actual teaching. But both together help. So yesterday we talked about a decision-making system. I want you to write it down again in the beginning. Uh, decisions determine destiny. The Bible is a book about decisions. The woman with the issue of blood made a decision to go to where Jesus was and touch the hem of his garment, brought her healing. The rich young ruler made a decision to not listen to what Jesus had to say about selling everything he owned and following him. And who knows, we could have been reading about him all the way through the book of Acts, and he could have been an apostle with churches named after him all over the world, but he decided to keep what he had <laughs> and go down the road. You know, it's funny when you think about it, the rich young ruler, whatever he kept, no one would want it now. What did he own that was valuable? He had the nicest pot to pee in of anybody. They didn't have indoor plumbing, nothing. Nobody would even want today what he had then. And he lost his whole future over whatever he decided to keep. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. People aren't judged according to what they believe. They're judged according to the decisions they've made. Murdering someone is a decision. If you watch Forensic Files, some people, that's their first line of problem solving, is just to murder the person that's bothering them. That's a decision. It has consequences. You go to jail, you face the death penalty, or you get shot on sight, somebody avenges the death. You go down a bad road. So charismatics and Pentecostals have very, a very different interpretation of the Bible than the one I'm giving you. I'm telling you the Bible is a book about decisions, and uh, deci- deciding to obey God or disobey God, deciding to obey his word or disobey his word. You have the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with your relationship with God. The next six deal with your relationship with man. And uh, uh, First four are honoring God. Last six are honoring man. Don't steal from somebody. Don't, don't take somebody's wife. Don't covet somebody's things, etc. So the Bible is a book that you choose to obey or you choose to disobey, and that's what brings the consequences. It's a lot easier to say, it sounds cooler to say, I have a generational curse than I choose to make poor decisions. Was Satan involved with Adam getting losing his place in the Garden of Eden? Yes. But Satan couldn't do anything until Adam and Eve chose to obey what he said instead of what God said. So your life's not going to be defined by God, and your life's not going to be defined by the devil. Your life's going to be defined by the decisions you make. My father, when he would give an altar call to receive Jesus Christ, used to say, 
God has voted for you. Satan's voted against you. You cast the deciding ballot. That's true for more than just salvation. And most of us, most of us that are here right now, it's a product of a decision you made one time at a church service or watching somebody on Christian TV or somebody to respond and receive Jesus Christ and then go into the waters of baptism. You, you chose that rather with, with a thousand voices screaming on the outside, on the inside of you to stay in your seat or whatever. You said, no, I'm, I feel I'm going to do what's right. So uh, decisions determine destiny. So if that's true, and it is, yesterday we dealt with having a million-dollar decision-making system. What is your decision-making system? Is your decision-making system for marriage, he's cute, Well, you're going to have trouble? She's pretty, she's hot. That's, that's, that's not a million dollar, that's a million dollar losing decision making system. Yes, people questions about why do you live where you live? Why do you do what you do? They don't have good answers usually. I used to, um, I used to examine, oh, good evening from Finland, from home of our new favorite figure skater. I used to have, um, I used to analyze people's decisions a lot, and I'd, I'd get real worked up. Why would he do that? Why would he leave that job to go take that worst job? Why would he leave his wife and kids to go live with that ugly woman? I don't understand. He lose his whole ministry. I'd ask myself questions like that and rack my brain trying to figure out why people did what they did, and then... I made the discovery about eight years ago, 10 years ago, that people don't make decisions based on logic or facts or input of, of quality information. They just do things. So it's, it, it, it's, it's pointless to break down people's decisions when they haven't even broken down their own decisions. It's like trying to understand why your dog ripped a pillow up because he's a moron. That's, <laughs> that, that's the answer. Um, I was going to read a testimony from 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, but it doesn't really fit right now, so I'll just go straight into the, the message for today, which I think you're going to enjoy. I know most of you wrote in and said how much you enjoyed yesterday, so uh, let's review it. Nine, uh, the nine points of, of a million-dollar decision-making system. Number one, understand that mistakes are costly. Don't fall in love with the mercy side of God. I mean, no, you can all, God will always forgive. Yeah, but God forgave Samson, but it didn't get his eyes back, did it? So mistakes have consequences. And some mistakes you never recover from. Number two, does the Bible specifically address the decision I'm making? If it does, no further prayer re required. The decision in Amsterdam. Good to see and more people, Holland, a lot of internationals on, which makes me happy. Saves me a long flight. Does the Bible specifically address the decision I'm about to make? No further thought required. My wife and I are just deciding on whether to become tithers or not. Should I get baptized? Yes, yes. Three, make your decisions in the presence of God. Get in the presence of God to make your decisions. Pay attention to what you feel come up in your spirit. Germany, awesome. Corpus Christi, Texas, which is like its own country in a way. 
Hana Maui, also like its own country. Pay attention to what comes up in your spirit when you're in the anointing. You feel to break up with somebody in the anointing. You, you, you feel to make moves in the anointing. Number four, don't change your mind when you get out of the presence of God. So you feel something in the presence of God. You get out of the presence of God. Your mind starts kicking in. How would you? That's kind of ridiculous to think. No, don't let your flesh override your spirit. Your spirit has veto power over your flesh, but it doesn't work the other way around. Number five, listen to people who have the thing you're trying to get. Proverbs eleven fourteen. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. I did that Las Vegas, Nevada. I'll be there soon. I did that all during COVID. I talked with my Uncle Ted and Pastor Rodney, and we, we just thought out the best course of action. Num number six, make decisions based on principle, not emotion. Number seven, Make decisions based on long-term success instead of short-term comfort. That's why people shut their churches down. Most of the people who shut their churches down were not afraid of COVID or they just, there were consequences for staying open that they didn't feel like dealing with and it, you could make it all go away if you just shut your church down. People would start, stop writing nasty stuff about you on Facebook. The news would stop doing inter, uh, specials on your church, so people just chose short-term comfort. And now they're dealing with the fact that in doing that, they destroyed um, their long-term success. That's nice to read, K. Number eight, go down the road of your decisions mentally. When I make this decision, how are people going to react what, what's it going to cause to happen? And then be prepared for it. Number nine. What are the potential negative consequences of my decision? How are enemies going to react? What are, and then we dealt with, if I was the devil, how would I attack me? What would the devil do to try to stop this move I'm going to make and then get ahead of it? It's not very difficult to outthink the devil, and we gave scripture on that yesterday. So today is decisions determine destiny part 2 seven decisions i made that seven decisions i made recently that changed my future number 1 this is one that's not that recent 2007 i got licensed with the assemblies of god in when i was in bible school i think in the year 2000 i was 19 years old and uh, you you only, I, I read in the bylaws that you only needed three years of Bible college to get licensed with the Assemblies of God. So I did, and I was happily with them um, from 2000 to 2007. And then they made the decision to close down the, evangel the evangelist uh, the office, the national office of the evangelist, which I've heard from people that they've opened it back up in the last two years or so. So good. Well, I didn't have a problem with the assemblies of God. In fact, when I turned in my credentials and wrote them a letter, they had to, they, they called me and said, you have to write a new letter 
um, that tells the reason why you're leaving because all I said was nice things. I said, thanks for licensing me when I was 19 and believing in me. You know, they could have said, you're, we're not licensing a 19-year-old. You're, you're young. Wait a couple years. Most of my preaching opportunities were in the Assemblies of God. I thanked them for that. Um, I just thanked them. So I wasn't leaving on bad terms, but God called me to be an evangelist. During that time, I'm not saying it's still like that, because this, what are we, 15 years down the road now. But during that time, um, the Assemblies of God was basically for pastors, missionaries, youth pastors, and worship leaders, I would say. There wasn't even an evangelism minor at any Assemblies of God Bible College, and then it started to just, um, a, a minister I know met with the Super, general superintendent during that time, and he said, when I was a pastor, I never had evangelists in. I felt like anything an evangelist could do, somebody on my staff could do. So that's how he felt about evangelists, which he's welcome to feel that way. But I made a decision. Now, you know that Pastor Rodney doesn't like when people say, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. I know what he means when he says that that he doesn't like it. In other words, I don't apply that. Like when we held our crusade in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and we received so many death threats that the Department of Homeland Security um, did security the first night because they felt like there were credible death threats against me, we still did the meeting. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were freed, they returned to their own company. They returned to their own company. Life can't be fighting all the time. That's why I've made the decision to never take in somebody's teenager into our house. You know, my, I feel like my son is getting away from the Lord, and I feel like if he just, you know, I, I'm a single mother. If he could live with you in Adalis, or our daughter, if she could live. No. My home is not a teen challenge or a rehab center. There has to be a place you go to where you're in your own company. Life can't be spiritual warfare and fighting all the time, and your house certainly can't be like that. That's a mistake as a minister, by the way, taking troubled people into your home. So I didn't leave with a bad spirit. I left with a good spirit. And um, in detaching from them, I made the decision to join with, with people that celebrated the office of the evangelist, that didn't have something harsh to say about the thing God called me to do. These evangelists blow in, blow up, blow out, take all the church's money with them, and you don't see them again. But the pastor's there long term. All right, if that's how you feel then the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? So I not only, and I want you to hear this, I didn't only leave the assemblies of God, then what did I do? I made a decision not to be a bitter minister who left their denomination. And not to be a bitter minister who stayed in their denomination. There's people in the assemblies of God that have nothing good to say about the assemblies of God. You sound like an idiot. <laughs> 
Simmons God's backslidden. Why are you in it then if you feel that way? Well, Church of God's backslidden. Church of God, you know, you shouldn't be a part of something that you badmouth. So think of it. When I left the Assemblies of God, I could have stayed just some bitter independent minister. I used to be in the Assemblies of God, but they shut down the National Evangelist Office. So now what? I'm going to have a bad spirit the rest of my life? I made the, the decision to leave the Assemblies of God and God opened a door and knit me to Revival Ministries International, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. He, he is an evangelist. He celebrates that office. So I wasn't going cross-grain. And once I did that, once I made that move, the ministry was different. The pastors in that fellowship, because the leader of that fellowship celebrates evangelism, they were friendly towards evangelists. Hey, you're an evangelist. I'm a pastor. You should come into my church and hold a meeting, that kind of thing, instead of having their arms crossed, staring you down from across the room. Number one, the decision to align my life in ministry with people that are going in the same direction rather than try to be a big fish in a small pond. The general principle here that would apply, because that specifically would not apply to many people, and I'm not telling people to leave the assemblies of God. I'm telling you something I did in my position, but for you, the decision to break with something you've always been in, something you've always been comfortable doing, and people you've always been comfortable around, to go to your next level. Everybody from your old life can't come with you moving forward. And for some reason, I, I believe there's something in all of our flesh that wants to be able to take all our friends from fourth grade and our mom and dad and our sisters and brothers and first cousins and aunts and uncles and take everybody with us on the journey God has for us. But it doesn't work that way. You know, I've even been thinking how in the Bible, there's very few people that can keep their, their nuclear family together through their lifetime. I'm not talking about divorce. Although people can't even, half the people can't do that. But uh, have you ever known a, a rich family where the, 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 the patriarch of the family bought a big piece of land and built a house for all the sons and daughters on, on the huge piece of land? And then within 30 years, the one guy marries a wife that hates the other brother and they end up selling their house to someone else to move to a different state. They can't, they can't do it. Look at the Bible. The Bible, you had the 12 sons of um, Jacob. In like another generation, the cousins are attacking the other cousins, like in hand-to-hand -hand combat, burning their cities down. Dan attacking Benjamin. And, you know, that's, that's, that's like, that'd be the equivalent of like 
Camila's children attacking each other. Camila's children's children. So people can't even keep their families together. So how do you feel like you're going to take this big group of people forward with what you're doing? Anytime you go to make a move in life, the people that were with you on the last level are, are oftentimes the one that fight you the hardest moving to your next level. So you just got to lose the thing. You have to just get comfortable with, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And if people support me, wonderful. If people don't support it, also no problem. You don't see what I see. I don't have, you don't have to convince them. Number two, now we're getting to recent decisions. Decisions determine destiny, part two. Seven decisions I made recently that changed my future. Here's the recent ones. This is an enormous, this is the defining decision of my life up until this point. And I'm leaving out starting Revival Today Church because that wasn't my decision. That was just doing what the Lord spoke to me. I guess a lot of these are anyway, but I don't really feel like, like I decided to do that. Number two, the decision to keep preaching in person, laying hands on the sick during COVID. That's the most, I wish my wife was here because uh, I would like to just see what her take on a lot of these decisions were. Over 400 death threats in three days. Local news hit piece. Local newspaper hit piece. I could have made it all go away if I just went online. But I decided to keep doing what God called me to do. And I knew Facebook and YouTube algorithms enough to know there's not unsaved people that, that get steered to your broadcast much. Unless one goes viral. But when you're on live preaching, I mean, have we had one negative comment on, on YouTube or Facebook? No. They don't show it to non-Christians. They know you're a Christian. They know what type of Christian you are. So we don't even get uh, reform people that hate the, the, the message of healing or prosperity on much. At the time, that decision seemed... Like certain death, Darren said on the app, that's when I found you. How many of you found me after COVID? Because I stayed open. Let's see a um, emoji hand up. Kenton, that's how I first found you. Our church closed down and I was hungry for a strong preacher that wasn't backing down early 2020. Ninja Buddha got saved. Ninja Buddha, see, Ninja Buddha's case in point, what I'm talking about. He was a Mormon who found me on Check the News and came to see me live January 2021 and gave his life to the Lord. It wouldn't have happened online.
It's going to ruin your ministry. Now, I'm going to tell you, when, when I decided to stay open, the only person I heard from on the phone was Pastor Rodney. That's it. Once they did those news pieces on me, I didn't hear from anybody. I didn't hear from my family other than my mother. People were distancing themselves, not social distancing. They didn't want anybody to know they knew this lunatic who, who was going to preach during COVID. Adonis and I had close friends that sent emails out to a lot of people that uh, we disagree with the decision that, that we're making, and uh, they're not going to be welcome at this church anymore. There, there was a cost up front, and this is what I dealt with in the million-dollar decision-making system. Success has, a, has an upfront cost and a long-term reward. And safety has an upfront reward and a long-term. And most people are willing to have the long-term the long downtrend for short-term comfort. We could have kept our friends. We could have kept talking to people on the phone. People went quiet. And it's funny, that, that interview that KDK uh, tried to do with me and put me on the news, if you read the comments under it, if you go back and watch that video and look at the comments, any comments in the first three or four months of the video, he's a lunatic, he's going to get people killed, they should put him in prison ahead of time for attempted murder. Then you go down about four months. Turns out he was right. Where's his church located? Good for him. So if you make decisions based on what people think is popular, people's opinions change all the time. You were a hero if you were a minister who shut your church down, celebrated by the media. Now your ministry's in trouble. The decision to stay open during COVID. Preach live meetings. I don't have anything to apologize for. I don't have to change my mind on it. That, that's another thing. It's a credibility thing. If you preach healing for 15 years and then a, a, a disease comes and you say, you know, yes, the name of Jesus does have authority, but then at the same time, sometimes it doesn't. Now you've cut your legs out from under everything you preach. So if you're going to preach something, you have a responsibility if you want to remain credible to keep going forward and ride it out. Shutting your ministry down during a, 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 a plague or a pandemic or whatever they'd want to call it would be the same as being a prosperity ministry that quit tithing during a financial crunch. So you gain credibility with people.
I'll also say, and I'm going to get into check the news in a little bit in that decision, but the decision, um, you know, I wasn't pastoring back then, and I had money, and that's why a lot of ministries shut down, because money still came in. People, you know, people are committed tithers and givers. So they realized they could shut down. It didn't actually affect the income much short term. So they did. I had a vacation planned to Arizona that I was very much looking forward to taking. And I felt, as a spiritual leader, you can't just because you have money go on vacation while other people are struggling. So I, I also made the decision to do check the news every night, teach during the day, preach at churches, until there was kind of an all clear, which for me was in May when, when President Trump said he was going to, uh, churches were to be open and he wanted states to open back up. That was kind of when the fog lifted. But in that worrying time when people were suicidal, I made the decision to stand with people. I wasn't worried. I had money. I had a job. I'm self-employed. I can't get fired. But I, I, I made the decision to stay with, with the people, through a screen mostly, but to stay with them and not do programs on YouTube about recipes you can make while you're home with the kids during quarantine and to actually help them. A lot of great people in today. The decision to stay open during COVID. The amount of money we had come in the year before COVID is the amount of money that came in this month in our ministry. So that's a 12x increase. It changed our ministry. People were looking for somebody to address what was happening in the world from the Bible. And they couldn't find anybody. People were playing repeats. People were talking about fun games you can play while you're at home with the kids during quarantine. But people were freaked out and wanted to know, are we in the tribulation? Is this the Antichrist? Is this the mark of the beast? What, what does the Bible have to say? And the decision to do that and not back down and not wait a year to fight changed the trajectory of our ministry. Which leads to number three. The decision to do check the news. Seven decisions I made recently that changed my future. Now in telling you these, I'm not, this is not a, a, a eulogy for me or an autobiography. I'm, I'm telling, talking you through these decisions. And what they brought and what what. You know, now we all know that was the right decision. At the time, even I wondered. Number three, the decision to do check the news. I do this broadcast 10.30 in the morning. Back, and I, I had no church back then. When I was flying back from Connecticut to Pittsburgh, when the lockdown had been announced, I felt the Lord speak to me. People are scared to death. Now listen to this. This is what the Lord said. When you do 1030, you deal with their spirits. You tell them about Psalm 91. 
the protection of God, the healing power of God, and they believe you. But their minds are full of fear and worry. Deal with their spirits in the day and deal with their minds at night. And the dealing with their minds at night, how do you deal with their mind at night? Well, you start telling them about the infection fatality rate. You know, people don't remember this, but there were the leaders, like Gavin Newsom in California, predicted there would be 26 million COVID infections and 1.2 million deaths in California alone. 1.2 million deaths just in California. One lady who was quoted, I'm not talking about some, some nut, I'm talking about people that were being quoted on MSNBC and CNBC, said that by May 8th at the latest, every hospital bed in the United States will be full and people will be forced to treat their loved ones at home uh, with palliative care. Every hospital full and people will have to use their homes as hospitals. That's what was going on. Well, I found a guy named Yossi Gestetner, Hasidic Jew from Brooklyn, who's a numbers guy. And he ran the numbers from that Diamond Princess cruise ship that COVID is either extremely deadly but not that contagious or extremely contagious but not that deadly, but it can't be both because we have an isolated case study from that cruise ship in February 2020 and not enough people died for it to be that deadly. And so I made the idea. Now, then I made this other idea. Or I had this other idea. If I get on in my kitchen, from my kitchen table, and film it with my phone and start saying, the infection fatality rate's actually not that high. Um, there's a man named Yossi Gestetner. Then I'm going to just look like a lunatic. But if I have a video wall behind me and a nice microphone and a good camera lens, and then secondly... I knew, I knew this group called Right Wing Watch was watching me, and I saw them. They always isolated clips of, of preachers saying that COVID's not that bad or whatever. But I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll put the tweets on, because if I ramble on about this stuff for an hour and a half, you're just going to sound like a lunatic, even with a video wall and microphone. But if I just put pe- what I'm not telling you my opinion, these are what experts. Now, you might not like them. You might not agree with them. But I'm not telling you what I think about COVID. I'm telling you what Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford said. I'm telling you what Yossi Gestetner, who's not a Christian. He's a Hasidic Jew from Brooklyn, a data analyst. What he's saying, what other verified accounts are saying. And I'm reading it to you. So that dealt with people's minds in a way that the, even the people that are professional preacher mockers couldn't mock Because even if they did, they would be mocking that person's tweet that I'm reading. It's not me. And it set people's minds at ease. Because now I'm not telling you just Psalm 91. I'm telling you, yes, we have protection. And this thing, even in the natural, is not to be worried about. And we had people tell us left and right that they left, um, check the news on at night, though I was yelling and stuff. They, they kept it on at night, and it helped them sleep. Told you, w- when there was disturbing news breaking, Pennsylvania's going to hire 
200,000 contact tracers to help take children out of homes that are effect, infected so they can go to hospitals. And they're telling you they're going to take your kids out of your home. I told you how that's not possible, that the government couldn't, hire to, couldn't do a 200,000-person hiring program if you gave them 15 years. Remember our famous line back then was if the same people in charge of the DMV are in charge of door-to-door -door taking your children out of the home, door-to-door -door mandatory vaccination. They don't even, the government doesn't even have the ability to be that organized to do that. You set people's minds at ease. They said they're going to go door-to-door. -door. Yeah, I know what they said. How are they going to do it? They said they're not going to allow interstate travel if you're not vaccinated. How are they going to do it? There's too many roads going, I mean... Look at just the border of New Mexico to Arizona. I don't think they have enough manpower to enforce that one border. It's an enormous border with tons of roads and paths. How are they going to do it? So they would make threats that sounded scary, but we'd examine them and show how it's not possible. What they're saying is not true. So now you're not only believing the Bible, you're using your mind. Oh, yeah, actually, there's nothing to worry about. Even in the flesh, there's nothing to worry about. And we picked up a ton of people that are now permanent ministry partners and friends because we went through NAM together, our, our own Vietnam. And I, I didn't run away. And I, I, I want to say, and again, this isn't a eulogy, but I'm glad I, I'm glad I have the wife I have because I'm sure a lot of other ministers had to shut down because of their wife. Most people, if they get 400 death threats, including death threats against Camila specifically, they're going to say, now, I'm going to live with my mother. I'm taking our daughter and going to live with my mother until you get this thing figured out. If you want to do this, that's on you. But I'm not losing our child. You know, and they, women would flip out. You got a pair of little girls' underwear mailed to our office that said Camila on it. I'm going to kill you, prosperity preacher. FBI turned it over to the FBI. I'm not talking about, like, fake death threats. But Adonis, I never heard one word from her. I should, I should bring this up too. Here was my concern about doing Check the News, deal with people's minds at night. You remember you had the Black Lives Matter riots. You had COVID. Well, we're, I don't have time to edit all that. So there was tons of cursing on the air. So we, we have a religious broadcast from a religious ministry that has more cursing than things that are on HBO Max. Filthy language every night. I thought, well, I'm going to obey the Lord. Not that the Lord said make sure you leave the cursing in, but I'm, I'm going to obey the Lord and deal with the. How, how am I going to play video of riots with the audio on? There, there's no way to do it. There, there's just nonstop foul language. I thought, well, I know Christians, you know. I'm going to lose about 80% of my partners, but I'll do what the Lord said to do, and looks like the whole world's shutting down anyway, so might as well just get it over with and lose all our finances. That was the risk for me. <laughs> and then I found all these people, most of whom you're one of them, that you, you didn't really care. And you liked the fact that I said what you, were, what you were thinking, and then I'd even play people that were speaking out against the lockdowns that used harsh language, but it was, 
After having these people threaten your lives all day, it was actually kind of therapeutic to hear somebody give it back to them. But I thought, I thought it was going to destroy our ministry, and it turned out. How about we make that Rodney Howard Brown T-shirt when he gets arrested, right? We have people ironing the logo onto black T-shirts and mailing them out. We had no idea how many orders we were going to get. So then we turned into like a T-shirt sweatshop. We didn't even have a big office, so it's like hot in the office from the amount of uh, Rodney Howard Brown faces that are being steamed onto shirts. And then we find out there's a guy watching us that runs a T-shirt company that volunteers to do all the T-shirts at cost. Amazing. That was a decision that changed our future. I think we had eight people on staff then, maybe 10. We've got 37 now. Money went up about A lot. Number three, the decision to do check the news. Number four, I'm going to do it out of order. I don't feel like doing that one right now. Number five, no, I guess it'll still be number four. The decision to attach myself to Dr. Rodney Howard Brown during COVID. There were people that were licensed with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown that immediately, and ordained, and their churches were under him, that immediately turned their credentials in when he got arrested. They didn't want to be a part of him anymore. It's going to ruin their ministry. It's going to ruin their, their name. And their ministries are half, 50% with what they were since they left. It's, it's insane to me. People can't see it. And people try to cover a bad decision with, rather than repent and make things right, people just try to cover a bad decision with like 100 more bad decisions. That's why pride comes before destruction. The Bible says haughtiness comes before the fall. A haughty spirit comes before the fall, and pride comes before destruction. Because pride won't al allow you to admit that you made a mistake and go back and correct the mistake. I'm sorry. I got caught up in the COVID hysteria. We made a mistake. We've not found any other covering for our church since we left. We realize now you made the right decision. Your ministry is four times what it was. I'm not talking to me. I'm talking to Pastor Rodney. What it was before you got arrested. Please forgive us. Please have us back. That's what you do. No, just keep making one more bad decision after another and watch the thing go down the drain. When Pastor Rodney got arrested, and again, this is not a eulogy for me. It's also not me patting myself on the back. But he told me, you're the only that week that he got arrested. We talked every day. He said, you're the only preacher that returns my text messages or phone calls. 
That's what he said. So people run when the trouble comes. And I never, I never thought like that. You know, for people to feel like their ministries are going to get ruined because they're affiliated with Rodney Howard Brown, your ministry is already ruined by the fact that you associate with the Bible. Do you know what I mean by that? Obviously, I don't mean your ministry is ruined from a heavenly perspective. You are an anti-LGBT, right-wing, hateful bigot because you believe this. So... Who cares? It's going to ruin your good name. You don't have a good name. If your ministry ever gets of any size, they're going to do an interview with you and say, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? And then you have a choice at that point. You can say, no, not really. Or you can stammer around and then lose God's approval. Or you can and, and gain the world. Or you can say, well, yes, we do believe that. And you're finished from, from a world perspective. So what are you doing trying to like make sure you have a quote-unquote good name anyway? Jesus said they hated me. How much more will they hate you? But I made a decision to attach, not, not just privately support him over the phone. None of them repented. Somebody said they'd rather take back the ones who repented, if any. No, nobody did. I was in a, a large chat group with a bunch of pastors that Pastor Rodney had put together to help us navigate through COVID, and one guy in the group, my age, just laid into him. What a mistake he's making. You don't know what you're doing. Past, during uh, the Black Lives Matter thing, there was a pastor that's my age out west. He decided to do a whole month series on Black Lives Matter talking points, pro-Black Lives Matter talking points, white privilege, etc. white guy. Pastor Rodney contacted him, told him, if you do that, you're going to cripple your church. This is communism. This has nothing to do with black lives. This is socialism and communism. The founders of Black Lives Matter are open witches. If you, if you allow that spirit into your church and teach what you said on Instagram, you're going to teach this Sunday, don't do it. It's going to ruin your church. Respectfully, I respect you as a man, Dr. Rodney. I respect your ministry, but I have to disagree. I have to do what I know is right. In one month, he lost every member, every tithing member of his church. Not most of them. He lost every tithing member of his church in one month. Start from scratch. Because he doesn't listen. I'm not dealing with it today, but one of the decisions you're going to make in life that affects your success more than anything else is who you listen to and who you admire. Because you won't listen to somebody that you don't admire. I admire Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, so I listen to him. If you don't admire someone, do you argue with him? I don't, I don't think that's true. But admiration will keep your mouth shut. 
and you'll listen. Who you trust, who you listen to, who you admire, those decisions are going to affect your success greatly. When I did that program, the night Pastor Rodney was released from prison, you arrested my friend and threw the can at the thing. It made, it made international news. And then that's when I announced we were going to do the Woodstock-style event. In the media room, can you find one of the articles from TMZ or whatever from back then, from you arrested my friend? We can read the article just to see what a different world it was back then. Um, People went silent, you know, not you guys, but ministers. I didn't hear from anybody. Didn't hear from family. You're making a mistake. He got arrested. It's a mistake to join yourself to him. People just go quiet. I, had, I did have some pastors call me. Um, they're only asking us to shut down for 15 days, bro. I think you're making a big mistake. But I did have one bishop, Bishop Ariste from St. Lucia in the Caribbean. After I finished that program, he messaged me. And when I saw him, you know, he's an older Caribbean black pastor. I thought, he's going to think I'm nuts. And he wrote, you, tr you showed yourself to be a true son of your spiritual father tonight. Good job. Who are you if when your spiritual father's being attacked, you're, you bail on him? Or if you're quiet, well, you know, he didn't, he, I don't really agree with a lot of what he did. You stand with somebody that, that you're knit to in the spirit, or you're a loser. Any, all right, let's see the article. Take an old trip down memory lane. Okay, they flashed me that the article's ready. I feel like it's all just for us. Number six, oh, there it is. <clears throat> Pastor Rodney Hard Brown arrested for packed church violating social distancing. TMZ, continue. 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 No, that's not the one with me. That's the one with me. About holding the Woodstock. It doesn't have to be TMZ, any, anybody. There were quite a few. I know I was in British newspapers. Number five. So number four is the decision to attach myself to Pastor Rodney during COVID. Which leads to number five. The decision to join Dr. Rodney Hard Brown at the stand. Which again, three years later, is a no-brainer. But at the time, <laughs> I was my plan was to come for one week. I was coming back from Arizona. I was going to stop by at the stand to give him a hug, congratulate him on being out of prison and getting the stand open up, be in the services. And then be on my merry way. I had a full set of meetings booked for the year. And that's where my comfort was. I knew how to go preach at a church and receive offerings. When we were doing the stand, 
there weren't many people showing up because people weren't coming to packed <laughs> to, to, to meetings. People wouldn't come on the buses from the inner city. There was a curfew. There was no promise of any money coming in. And he said, while I was there, it would mean a lot to me if you stayed here with me this summer and did the stand with me. And I said all the stuff I told you just now. I, I have meetings book. And then he just repeated it. It would really mean a lot to me if somehow you were able to stand and do the stand with me. And when he said it the second time, I knew in my, I'll tell you what the Lord spoke to me. Let me know when you have the article ready. I know what the Lord spoke to me. If you ever heard of the, the evangelist R.W. Schambach, he had heart problems at one point. He had a big venue booked in Chicago to do a big meeting, and he wasn't going to be able to do it because of the heart problems. And he called my Uncle Ted and asked if he would cancel what he was doing and come do that Chicago meeting for him. Now, that sounds like a big opportunity if you don't know how ministry works. But when you do an auditorium meeting like that, you're responsible for the money to come in during that meeting. It's not you're going to, you know, it's not a big payday. It's, it's a big expense. And the Lord reminded me of that in that moment, how my Uncle Ted did that for his spiritual father, R.W. Shambuck, and said, now it's your turn. He's just gone through a lot. He needs you around. He'd like you around. Serve your, your spiritual father. So there's like 180 people on the field, 300 people, all spread out on that massive field. It looked like, it looked like, all right, I'll help. Like, like check the news. All right, I'm going to help Pastor Rodney, but I'm going to take a massive loss. He never said I'm going to pay you. We didn't know how any of this was going to work. Looked like the economy was going to be completely collapsed. So I got a, a short-term lease, a three-month lease on a, on a condo in Tampa. Moved down there with Adonis and Camila. Did that, and then at night, remember from my phone laying on my bed, I would do check the news after that was over. Little did I know that though the attendance on the field was not much, we're in the middle of what everybody thought was a deadly pandemic, there were a zillion people watching online, 11,000 at a time, 13,000 at a time. The YouTube videos were getting uh, 100,000 views, 70,000 views a night. Then it was on television four hours a night. I told the story that I was in Las Vegas one time at the Venetian uh, Hotel and Casino. I was going to buy Camila something at that store, It's Sugar. And this South Korean guy comes over to me. Are you famous pasta from Florida? And I got ready. No, I'm not. And then I thought, oh, I said, did you watch The Stand with Dr. Rodney Howard? Right? Yes. We watched it every night in South Korea. Can I take a picture with you? And that's when I realized that I didn't help Pastor Rodney. Pastor Rodney helped me. Wow, I didn't know that, Tori. I heard Pastor Jonathan on Christian Television Network in 2016. Even though I was in sin, I decided that if I ever got right with God, I wanted to be that type of Christian. That means a lot. And that 
that decision to not tell Dr. Art, no, I have meetings booked. I don't know this little, this thing you've got going on here on the AstroTurf in the direct sunlight. Uh, not really my thing. Boy, would that have been a huge mistake. Because that thing affected the world. Everybody was watching. Everybody wanted to know. All right, let's take a trip down memory lane. Oh, this is CBS Pittsburgh. Bunch of pansies. Pennsylvania pastor, so they were prophesying. I was not a pastor at the time. Slams coronavirus precautions, planning Woodstock-like Easter gathering. Let's continue. A Pittsburgh area pastor says he plans to organize an outdoor Woodstock-like Easter service to protest the stay-at-home orders to prevent coronavirus. Conservative Christian pastor Jonathan Shuttlesworth made the announcement on social media Tuesday. I'm going to announce it. We're going to hold an outdoor Easter blowout service, not online, a national gathering. You come from all over like Woodstock, and we're going to gather and lift up Jesus Christ, Shuttlesworth says. His announcement comes following the arrest of several pastors in the United States for violating the stay-at-home orders. Shuttlesworth is a televangelist who co-founded Revival Today and is based in Washington County. That was not true. Shuttlesworth met with KDK on Wednesday for an interview in the South Hills. Now, Shuttlesworth was ambushed by KDK on Wednesday in the South Hills. Continue. But when KDK arrived, he backed off his promise for the interview. Not answering any questions, Shuttlesworth said, interview's over. Shuttlesworth then returned a few minutes later with a couple of handlers. No, it was Ram and Nick who were helping me get ready to do the broadcast. Handlers. Like I'm Hannibal Lecter. He promptly asked the cameras to be turned off. Shuttlesworth, we're by a dumpster. This isn't a professional interview. You know that? Paul Martino, you agreed to meet us here. And I met you. I didn't agree to come on camera or record. He also said he'd practice social distancing at his Woodstock service. When I said a Woodstock-style gathering, I meant because people drive from all over the country that want to celebrate Easter. I didn't mean we're all going to roll around in the mud and do LSD. Continue. This isn't the first time Shuttlesworth made the headlines. Earlier this month, he called out European churches that are taking measures to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Shame on every European full gospel church, bunch of sissies that shut down during this thing. If you're putting out pamphlets telling everybody to use Perel before they come into the sanctuary and don't greet anyone, you should just turn your min in your ministry credentials and burn your church down or turn it into a casino or something. He said on social media, you're a loser, bunch of pansies, no balls, got neutered somewhere along the line and don't even realize it. That's a great quote. I, need, I don't even remember saying that. Continue. There's me again. Right-wing evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth has no time for loser pastors who are canceling services because of the coronavirus, saying they should instead be holding mass gatherings to s demonstrate the power of their faith. That's March 11th, 2020. So I'm not saying it after the fact. Anything else? He also said KDK took his quotes out of context when he said people who use hand sanitizer were pansies. I'm thinking you're splicing a bunch of things I said together that you got from people that don't like me, Shuttlesworth told KDK. The pastor also claims that coronavirus pretension is the work of the devil. Let me tell you, if the devil doesn't want there to be mass gatherings, yeah, not, corona, not pastor claims coronavirus prevention is the work of the devil, shutting down churches. Let me tell you, if the devil doesn't want there to be mass gatherings, it's time to hold mass gatherings. If I lived in Italy, I would call an open-air crusade to pray for the sick. If you have to go to jail, go to jail. Sound like a lunatic at the time, but when you read it now, I'm glad that if you take anything I said at the beginning of the... I heard a guy on uh, Christian television who had his church shut down for a year and a half. We have authority over coronavirus. People need to... Yeah, now. But if I scroll back through your Instagram to March of 2020, what were you saying then? 
Anybody can do it after the fact. What decisions do you make in the heat of battle? Amanda Alvarado got saved December 2020. I found Pastor Jonathan through my spiritual mother, JoLynn Whitaker. Pastor Adalis was on her broadcast in 2020. When I went to the stand with Pastor Rodney, after that, when I started going to my meetings, it started to fill up with all kinds of visitors. I could go to a church that seated 250 people that had 40 people in it, and there'd be 300 people, 260 visitors that drove in from all over the place. People start stopping me at gas stations. Is that true? The guy that interviewed me was forced out of CBS and retired. Number six, and I'll leave it at six. I don't feel like doing the seventh one I put in. The decision to make mistakes going forward and not backwards. Write this down. I'll get you to understand what I mean. If I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to make them being aggressive, not being careful. I found Pastor Jonathan when he was at the stand in the summer of 2020 and his teachings and ministry have completely healed and saved me. Hmm. Evelyn. See? These are all people that are... Look at how many people have moved to our church from out of state. And it's, uh, if you ask them, I guarantee you it had to do with the stand and staying open. So there's things that seem comfortable short-term that are going to screw you long-term. And vice versa. There's things that look like suicide if you do them short term, but you keep pressing towards the long-term goal. Going to prison is suicide short term, but look at Pastor Rodney's ministry after. Somebody posted a picture yesterday. He, he had no balconies. There was no cover. January 2021, two winter camp meetings ago, it was held outside under the umbrellas. My sister was healed of celiac disease through Jonathan's ministry. I, I, I wish you, if everyone would send these testimonies informally on our website, you would make my day. I'd be like Christmas all over again. Wow. Evelyn said, I had left a horrible, abusive relationship with another woman, and I escaped from her, and I opened up my laptop looking for a church, and I found Pastor Rodney declaring that he was not going to close his. Number six, seven decisions I made recently that changed my future, and I'm going to leave it at six. The decision to make mistakes being aggressive, not passive. All the COVID stuff I talked about, that, that comes out of that. Okay, if I'm going to make the wrong move, I'm going to make it doing what the Bible says. Then whatever consequences come from that, we'll find out. But I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to see what happens by abandoning God's word for safety. It was, it was pretty crazy. 
if I can, if I can work it out, I don't know what Adalis has going on tomorrow. I'd almost like to go through these same things with Adalis and see what her take on it is, and then even even the media team that's here. So we would do the tenth, the ten thirty. Did we do ten thirty or ten a.m. back then, Rom? Ten. So we would do the ten a.m. broadcast till noon or twelve thirty. Then I would go on with Pastor Rodney from seven to ten thirty. And then we would do check the news from 11 to 1 in the morning. Repeat every day except I think we were even doing Saturdays during the lockdown. Evelyn, that's an awesome testimony. So you, how many hours? That's two and a half, four, two. Eight and a half hours of broadcasting, not counting the time we were in the studio before and after. But it just, we were having fun. We, we'd order food in. We lived there. Yeah, we would be, we would be at the office from 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. But it actually was great. It, it made it easy to go through the pandemic. Because we weren't, we were like affecting it. We weren't sitting home being affected by it. And then, um, I owe a debt of gratitude to our staff at Revival Today because we found out we didn't have anybody on staff that was a pretend Christian. Nobody said, if we're not going to wear masks here, I'm out of here. We set up the control room with video games and food and made it a family room they put on the screen. Yeah, we had a great time. Because some ministries found out they had a mixed multitude on staff. You know, I was at one church, and they, and they said, um, how do you want to handle the rest of these meetings? Because one of my associate pastors just texted me that his wife just tested positive for COVID. I said, why do you have people on staff that test for COVID? I don't know. You know, they, yeah, you hire idiots. That's why. We never had anybody like that on our staff. We just kept kept moving. Did anybody in me talking about these decisions? You know, like the stand, that was totally, that was a, I didn't know how money was going to work during that time. Pastor Rodney said, now if you come, we'll split the offerings. Nothing was said about money. Of course, he, he blessed me, but there was no. I hope talking this out. That's awesome, Evelyn. So I, I gave you the nine points of the decision-making. But then in talking out these decisions, I hope it kind of fleshes it out or like how, how it comes into play. You know, basically, don't do what's easy, do what's right. The cost 
of doing what's easy will always be greater than the cost of doing what's right. It's just the cost of what's right, you pay the cost immediately up front. The cost of what's easy, you get to pay it three years down the road. It's like putting it on a credit card, but you pay it with heavy interest. So I had to put up with all that crap for three months, but now I'm enjoying life. And then other people got to be safe for three months or six months, and now, hashtag please come back to church. Faith, write this down and we'll close with this. Faith is never a risk. Unbelief is. Whatever risk it feels like you're taking by operating in faith, I'm not I'm talking about faith, not being an idiot, not presumption, not blind aggression. I'm talking about trusting God's word and acting on God's written word is never a risk. I was never at any risk having carrying on my ministry during the pandemic. I would have been at risk not doing it. You know, it feels like if I stay home, then I'm not going to get COVID. If I go out and preach, I'm risking getting COVID. But it's actually it would have probably been the opposite. As you can see, there's no, no problems going out and preaching. But I might have got sick and died staying home because I'm out of God's will. Faith is never a risk, but unbelief always is. So, in summation, when the Bible talks about that your faith would be tried by fire and then it'll come out as, as gold purified by fire, that's how I feel now. I don't believe anything differently than I did before COVID started, but now I've proved it. And you'd have a hard time getting me to worry about anything because I just, I can see that all the threats of the devil are a smokescreen. He doesn't actually have the power to capitalize on anything he says he's going to do. So I, I, I have a different boldness now. It's what made me not even really care about Joe Biden or whatever. I just, I don't. When God said, I'll set you far above all nations of the world, he means if you do what he says, you'll operate above the nation that you, you live in. You'll, you'll be able to bring them up, but they won't be able to bring you down. That's awesome, Evelyn. Glad I saw you on here. It's a powerful testimony. Father, I thank you for every person watching. Thank you for bringing them into our lives here at Revival Today. I pray for anything they're going through, any concern they have. I pray that you'd eradicate it in Jesus' name. I thank you for it. I give you praise. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your hand that's upon our life. 
In Jesus' name. Wow. Kimberly said, I watched through the whole pandemic. My husband got saved on that Easter Sunday in 2020 and died two months later. I know he's in heaven. God is good. There's Marie Canalupo. Her son's the one that does the T-shirts. Great people. I'm going to give you an opportunity to sow seed on the first day of a new month. Remember, we have our fasting and prayer breakthrough service every Wednesday. So tonight, 7 o'clock. And then um, Friday is our miracle service. Saturday is our communion service. Sunday in the morning in Pittsburgh. And then I start Sunday night in uh, Maryland. Baltimore or D.C. area? Upper Marlboro, Maryland, near Baltimore. Sunday to Friday, 7 p.m. If you're anywhere near Maryland, southern Pennsylvania, northern Virginia, come see me. I'm going to send you my new book, Understanding the World in Light of Bible Prophecy. My dad wrote the foreword. I'm going to send that to everyone who sows a seed of any size today. And then if you give $1,000 or more, I'm going to make it out to you on the front. As my way of saying thank you, all our partners and friends for standing with us through the last three years especially. I have big announcements coming up, big, biggest ever. Here's the ways to give. Easiest way, revivaltoday.com and click give now. Cash app, dollar sign RT Give. Venmo, at RT Give. RevivalToday.com slash PayPal. You can text RT, as in Revival Today. Text RT to 50155. If you want to give cryptocurrency, you can scan that QR code. Ah, Jason and Reno. Good to see you, man. That's you. The prodigals is the prodigals return. I like that. You can mail it Revival Today, P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. Zoe said, I would love to hear about New World Order stuff. Then you're going to like this book. That's why I wrote it, Understanding the World in Light of Bible Prophecy. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.